Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. In 1951, a man with a a peculiar mind was born. He had a photographic memory to the point where he memorized all the cities in the United States. He could give you direction anywhere you ask. He read at lightning speed uh, up to eight books in one day. And the way he did that, he would open the book and with one eye read this page, with the other eye read the other page at the same time. And he could quote up to 98% of the books, some 12,000 books that he read in his lifetime. He could quote an entire Shakespeare play if you asked him to. His name was Kim Peek, but his buddies called him Computer. And you probably remember that movie was made of him in 1987 called Rain Man, played by Dustin Huffman. We're amazed by people who know a lot, aren't we? Aren't we like held in wonder of, of the intelligence of some people? And, you know, I, this, one of the smartest people ever was Albert Einstein. Do you know that even he admired the intelligence of another? It's believed he was one of the smartest and not the smartest man. But he admired another German. His name was uh, Johann Jolfgang Goethe. And this is what Albert said about Johann. He said, he might have been the last man in the world to know everything. Imagine that. What if you knew everything? You would know everything that happened in history, in the past, every name, every location, every event, every war, every great event. You could tell people all about it. You could quote any book, thousands of books that have been written. You, if someone said, hey, what movie should I watch? You would say, let me tell you about one movie of the 35 million movies that have been produced. On average, an adult knows between 20 and 1,000 words in the English language, but you... You would know all over one million words in just the English language to the point where 90% of people would have no clue what you're saying. But that's not all. You would know not only the English language, you would know all the languages, all 7,000 of them, and you could speak them anywhere you went. You would know how to solve any crime. You would be the most famous, famous person, certainly the most wealthy person, if you knew everything. It's said that Caesar, um, uh, Julius Caesar had 30,000 troops. He knew everyone by face recognition, but he also knew his name. But you, you would know all 7 billion people in the world, their names, their stories, and you would not need an app to remind you that it's their birthday if you knew everything. But would that actually be good to know everything? Probably not. For the one thing, it would be really hard to uh, tell you a joke because nothing would surprise you, right? And it would be practically impossible to live with you, right? The reality is none of us 
can know everything. Only one knows everything. And he has the ability to carry that much information we can't. It would overwhelm us, really. As we look into God's word today, we are going to be faced with a mystery that Paul is going to reveal to us. And Paul's desire is not to give us head knowledge. We are very attracted to head knowledge. In fact, we have more information today than ever, right? All you have to do, you have any question, Google it. That's what they used to call Kim, by the way. They used to call him the Google head because he could have that much information. But Google knows even more. We don't need more information. I don't want you to come here today walking out with more information in your head. As we look at God's word today, we want to go to a deeper level. We want to have information that goes from our brains, from our minds to our heart. That was what God was, I mean, Paul was seeking to do through this chapter that we're going to read today. And I want to read it over you before we teach it and pray. So if you have your Bible, you can go to Ephesians chapter 3. It's a good one to mark. If you don't have it, it's not even going to be on the screens. I want you to imagine that Paul wrote these words for you and that you're reading this beautiful letter aimed at your heart. This is what it says. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and shares together in the promise in Jesus Christ. I became a servant of this gospel by the gifts of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all of Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this ministry, mystery, excuse me, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose and that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him and through him, and through faith in him. We may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp 
how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Oh, Heavenly Father, as we look into your word, as we consider this mystery that Paul is writing about, I pray that while we may be hearing words and engaging our mind in what you have to say to us, that you, in a supernatural way, in a way that only you can, that you would touch our hearts, that we might know your love in a deeper, more intimate, more powerful, more real way than when we walked in. I pray, Father, that our hearts would be burning, that our, our smiles would just come forth at the joy that you pour in each and every one here in this room. I pray that you would minister to those who are hurting and comfort those who are struggling, oh God. And Father, I pray that we, you would unite us in this perfect love that comes from you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Paul has this rhythm. Every time he writes the letters, he writes in this rhythm. He spends a portion of his letter teaching a little bit of theology, who God is, who we are because who God is. And then he goes on to tell us how to apply it. We have been on this series. We've been looking at the first part of the letter to the Ephesians. And so far, Paul has been telling us who we are in Christ. We started with this understanding that we are seen by God as saints. Once we give our life to Jesus, once we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he looks at us and says, you are pure, you're clean, you're righteous like my son, which is absolutely remarkable when you think about it, when you know your own story, how humbling it is God chooses to see us in this way. And then we were told that we were God's masterpiece created for a purpose, that no, no one of us is a mistake, that God does not make junk. He makes beautiful people. He makes you and I for an important purpose. Last week, we learned that there's no longer distinctions. We're no longer separated, uh, some that God loves more than others. We are all loved equally, no matter whether we are Jew or Gentile. Now, in this room, most of us are Gentile, meaning we are not of Jewish descent. But even if you were of Jewish descent, this picture that now we are one in Christ. And now we get to this part of the chapter where he wants to give us this great mystery. And you know, I love mysteries. You, anybody a uh, Sherlock Holmes fan? Oh man, I love that show, especially the new one. I watched it all, so good. I love mysteries. And the thing about mysteries is that we, we, I love engaging my brain to try to find the solution. I love reading mystery books. I love watching mystery uh, because I want to solve the puzzle. And anything that we can have access to to do so we can break down the answer to this mystery, that's my kind of thing. Paul's not talking about that kind of mystery. He's not talking about a mystery that you and I can solve. In fact, the word he uses every time Paul talks about a mystery is a word that is technical, and it means something that which we have to be revealed 
to us. We wouldn't even know it existed. Now, uh, has anyone noticed the mystery painting on stage? This is my painting. It came from our home. I'm going to tell you more about it later. And you're probably wondering, what does a painting look like? And you don't get to see it until I decide. Because I'm up here and you're over there. Now, I get it. You could decide, well, Inez, I'm just going to get up and pull that thing. And you could. You would have access to being able to figure out the mystery. But the mystery that Paul talks about, we can't even see. We can't even perceive it. It's not within our grasp. We wouldn't even know it existed if it were not that God chose to reveal it. So unknown to us, God reveals a mystery. That's the God we serve. He wants us to know him. He wants us to understand his heart. Paul says again and again and again, all throughout his writing, don't miss this mystery that has been revealed to us. We see it in Romans 11. He says, don't be ignorant of the mystery. In Romans 16, he says, keep along with the revelation of this mystery. In 1 Corinthians, he says, a mystery that had been hidden. And in 1 Corinthians 4, a mystery that God has revealed. This is the mystery that Paul is talking about in this chapter. 21 times in Paul's letters, he mentions this mystery. And in this chapter, he does it three times. Three times he mentions the mystery. Now, do you want to know what the mystery is? You probably heard it and overlooked it. This is, this is the mystery, he says. Through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Right? Are you kind of like me going, okay, what exactly does that mean? You know, sometimes when you see a mystery revealed, the usual reaction is, oh, right? Oh, that's amazing. I mean, you're watching a movie, and, and it's like this tension, the whole movie. You want to know how it's going to end. You want to know who did it. And when they reveal it, you're like, oh, nothing's worse than watching a movie, and you're waiting and waiting and waiting, and then they reveal the mystery, and it's like, oh, that? Really? This can kind of have that feeling. So I'm going to break it down for us that we might have this kind of a moment, all right? Let me go back to it. Through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Now, again, in the first century, you heard this last week, you had a tension between the Jews, those who were from the people of Israel, God's nation created by God, blessed by God to be a blessing to the world. And then you had everyone else called Gentiles. And they would not associate with one another through the gospel, through God's grace, they now become one people. Now, in the first century, those people would have been like, oh, because they didn't connect with one another. But that's not what we experience today, is it? How does that relate to your experience or mine? We're not feeling the tension between Jews and Gentiles today. But here's how it applies to you and to me. The beauty of what God has done. He's united people of every nation, every tongue, every culture, every language as one people. And yes, amen. And when you look around this room, look at the makeup of this room. You know, I've been told the chapel is incredibly diverse. I love that. I love that in this room we see a picture of what God does. We're not looking the same. 
There's all these different cultures. A few times during our worship, we've invited you to speak something in your own language. When we hear all the languages represented in this room, we realize the miracle that God does. God brings together people of all backgrounds in one place. I went to the Philippines once, and um, the place that we were staying at, they served for breakfast all kinds of fish, stuff I didn't even recognize. Anybody Filipino in the house? Okay, I got to talk to you. I need to understand the food because I lived on peanut butter and white rice the whole week. If you come to my house and I make you some uh, Puerto Rican tostones, arroz con gandules, and, you know, some of my Puerto Rican pasteles, you'd be like, whoa, I don't know anything about this Puerto Rican food. But here we are in the same place together because of Christ. And probably there's a few Koreans in the house who love kimchi. I love kimchi. Anybody? Anybody? That's the beauty of what God does. He brings us together as one family. Not that our differences would be muted or changed. Not that we blend together into a mush of unrecognizable uh, effect, but that each and every one of us gets to be fully who we are, and together we reflect the oneness of Christ. That's an incredible mystery. In fact, it says in Romans 8, that we are heirs, co-heirs, the same legal standing, that we receive the same blessing, each and every single one of us, regardless of where we come from. He says, members of one body, together, one body for Christ, reflecting to the world who Jesus is. Galatians 1.28 says, neither Jew or Gentile, we just covered that, neither slave or free. In other words, it doesn't matter your economic status or your status of power or lack of power. You are one in Christ. And neither male or female. Boy, do we have tensions between the sexes in this world, don't we? Men saying, I am man, hear me, I'm, I'm in power. Women saying, I am woman, hear me roar. And all that does is create all kinds of problems. But in the church... We get to be one body. We get to be one. We get to be seen by God for the reasons and the purposes for which we were created. Gifted in our own callings, willing to serve however God calls us. That is a great mystery. And and Paul says this mystery is not just revealed to the world. You know, you and I. We get to reveal Jesus to the world. We together get to reveal Jesus to the world, but not just to the world, but to the heavenly realms. Who is Paul talking about here? The whole cosmos. Even in heaven, there were people, there were beings, I don't know what's up there, rulers and authorities, as it says, who were surprised by this mystery, that God had this plan all along to bless Every man, woman, child in the world who would put their trust in Jesus and make them one. That is the mystery. That's why Jesus prayed. In John chapter 17, he says, I pray that they will all be one. Just as you and I are one and you are in me, Father, I am in you. May they be in us. Why? So that the world will believe that you sent me. It's so humbling that we get to demonstrate to the world who Jesus is. It is the incredible privilege that we've been given. Paul says, I'm the least to carry this message, and I'm right there with him. But make no mistake, we've been given the privilege to tell 
about this mystery. And then he goes and says, this was done on purpose. His intent was that now through the church, oh, I must pause here. It's in the Bible, so I'm going for it. Through the church. You know, there's a lot of people right now that say, well, I can be a Christian. I can be a, a Jesus follower. I can be a, a, a God follower. I can have my own personal relationship with God. I don't have to go to a church. I don't have to participate in what the church does. I'll watch a few services online. I'm good. You guys do your thing. But look what he says. Through what? The church. Oh, yeah, you're afraid to say it. Let's say it again. Through the church. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known, not just to the world, but to the rulers and authority in the heavenly realms. God's wisdom, God's mystery is demonstrated when we gather together. Where else do we gather together as one? Okay, so we might go to a football game, and it's quite diverse, and all we're doing is looking at, but, you know, there's two teams, and probably we're somewhat divided even in that. But in the church is the one place where you see people of every socioeconomic background, people who are wealthy sitting with people who are probably homeless, people from every nation, every tongue, worshiping one God and revealing to the world who he is. We, as a church, get to reveal this mystery. And that's why we must remember to continue to gather together, to not give up on that practice as we're told in Hebrews. Because it's in this process together that we can reflect the mystery of Christ better and better. Now, Paul, you probably didn't notice this, But he started this chapter, and he says, I, a prisoner for you Gentiles, a prisoner for this. And then he kind of pauses. There's a dash there. Like he almost, his breath was taken away. Have you ever seen that? You have a conversation with someone, and they're telling you something. All of a sudden, they choke up, and they can't say anything, and it causes you to lean in. What is he going to say? Paul paused, and he goes through that whole thing I just went through. This is the mystery. This is the mystery. I need you to understand the mystery. He's talking to our heads. But then he realizes the only way for this mystery to be understood is for him to pray. Because ultimately, the one who can reveal that mystery is not Paul, is not you, it's not me, is God. And he enters into this moment of prayer. He prays for the very people he is writing. The very people he suffered for. Paul was not against suffering for this mystery. He was willing to give everything to reveal this mystery. In fact, let me pause there for a minute because I think a question we ask ourselves is why do bad things happen to good people? Have you ever asked that? Why that, does that happen? And you look at Paul, and Paul suffered All kinds of problems. You read Acts, the last part of Acts. Read 2 Corinthians 11. You'll see that Paul was beaten multiple times. Paul was stoned with uh, rocks. Paul was thrown out of town. He was shamed, abused, publicly um, attacked. Paul suffered. He was imprisoned. He was shipwrecked. He suffered. He knew suffering. And yet he says, I who suffered for you, I'm going to I'm going to ask God to reveal something to you because the greatest man 
ever suffered. Jesus, who Philippians tells us was equal to God, came. He did not hold that. He came, became like you and I, and he suffered shame. He was beaten. He was spit on. He was shamed. He was criticized. He was betrayed. Every kind of suffering, Jesus experienced it. And so did Paul. And so did John the Baptist, who baptized Jesus himself. He was beheaded. Suffering of good people has happened. And the greatest of all suffered the most. So why not good people suffer? How is it that we might believe that we can live this life and not experience some suffering? Because if he suffered, then somehow suffering is not in vain. Somehow God is with us in the deepest suffering, and he can handle our questions. When I worked as a chaplain at Children's Hospital, one of the meetings I had was with a mother whose baby was born with a defective heart. Multiple surgeries later, I walk into the room, the baby's in the special bed with tubes coming from every direction. It was, it's one of those incredibly difficult scenes. The baby's tiny against all of this technology. And this mom looked at me and said, why is this happening to me? I'm a good mother. I have other children. I've been a good mother. I'm a good wife. I, I follow Jesus. I'm a believer. I'm very active in my church. Why is this happening to me? Why isn't this happening to this these people out there who don't love their children, who are abusive to their children, who maybe even want to get an abortion, want to dump their child. Why doesn't it happen to them? Why is it happening to me? And while that may seem harsh, I think that's the cry of our heart. Why, Lord? Paul knew that kind of suffering. And this is what he knew. He said, he lived out really, that suffering was not the end. For Paul, even through suffering, the worst that can happen was heaven. Ultimately, he would give his entire life to reveal this mystery. And yet, he couldn't do it. God had to reveal the mystery. And so he goes into this prayer. And I want to, I was thinking, how do I, how do, I do this, God? How do I read this? where people will understand the heart behind Paul's letters. And this is a painting that's in my house that we purchased some time ago. We went to this event, and this professional artist was there, and he was painting this painting while we're having dinner. And he painted some of it and would bring it down to the ground, work on it while we're having dinner, and then he would put it up. Every so often, we'd see his progress. So he started out by putting some words. We're like, oh, we're reading the words. We see what it says. Then it brought, he brought it down, he put it back up. We saw some fruit and some vegetation. And we thought, oh, that's pretty cool. He put it back down. A little bit later, he put on um, some gold. And now we're like, wow, what is he doing? The mystery, you know? He put it back down. None of us could eat anymore. We're watching, waiting for him to put this thing up to see what the end result was. And when he did, the room went, oh. Do you see Jesus?
This painting is out of Ephesians 3. And as I read these words over you, I want you to look at this painting and this great mystery of Christ. Listen to Paul's words. Paul said, for this reason I kneel. So I'm going to kneel. Imagine Paul saying this to you. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Paul talks about grasping. Grasping is a term that has to do with our mind, that we would understand And he uses this picture for us, how wide, how long, how high, how deep. It's kind of like a box that he paints for us. This is the shape of God's love for you. It's that big. And he gives us this mental picture. But then he says to know, to know this love that surpasses knowledge and understanding. And that word he uses there. It's an experiential know that you would know in your heart beyond your wildest imagination, God's love for you. That's Paul's prayer. Because with that love, our deepest emptiness is filled. With that love, all of our fears are overcome. With that love, we could do what we never imagined possible. With that love, even suffering is something we can bear. In Zephaniah, it says, with his love, he will calm your hearts. With his love, he will calm your hearts. What if you embrace this mystery? What if you, today, opened your arms, your heart, your mind, your whole being to let God fill you, nourish you, strengthen you with that kind of love? Only by the power of the Spirit can you experience that kind of love. We just talked about how knowing everything is not all that good for us. But knowing this love, oh, it's good for us. And the more we know it, 
the better it is. Paul said in 2 Corinthians that we have this treasure, this mystery, in clays of jars. In other words, we're still the same people. We're still broken. Are we perfect? No. But yet we hold this incredible mystery to show that the all-surpassing power is from God. And through that, that Jesus may be revealed. And so is this almost comical picture of us still being us, and yet this supernatural love not only filling us, but coming out through us. That we might do things we cannot imagine. And I wanted to figure out how do I share that with you in a practical way. And this might seem a little geeky, I, I must admit, but it so made the point. So will you bear with me? This is a small little clip from the movie Toy Story. All right, then I will. Stand back, everyone. To infinity and beyond! get the picture. Buzz Lightyear wanted to show he could fly. He was convinced he could fly. And he had faith he could fly. And so he went for it. That's you and I. We get to do what's the most remarkable. We get to lean into God's love and maybe to some extent look a little foolish to the world as they watch us swan dive right into this faith and lean in to God's love in a way that maybe they can't see. Why? Because it's a mystery. And until we lean in, they cannot see it. And so my prayer is that we are encouraged. And Paul finishes this letter with these words in verse 20. He says, God is able to do immeasurably more than we can all ask or imagine. He says, I pray that you have power. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to reveal this love, this mystery to the world. I pray that you may have power to reveal this love, this wind beneath you that no one can see, but they can certainly see you taking risks they never thought you would take, doing things that maybe are countercultural, maybe that don't make sense in the mind, but in their hearts they know, they know that that's coming from somewhere beyond you. That's our prayer for you. And, you know, as we go forth from this place to now the rest of the letter to the Ephesian church, where Paul starts to say, this is who you are, so now this is how you ought to live. He, he starts the next chapter with, I urge you, I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling. We now start to put this in practice, what we have learned. We cannot go forward without at least creating space and an opportunity for some of you here in the room who came and have yet to say yes to Jesus. Maybe today was the first time you're thinking, I, I want to embrace this love. I want to receive this love. I want to live out this love. 
I want to say yes to this great mystery that God loves me. He knows it all. He knows my mess. And yet he chose to die for me that I might receive his gift of eternal life. And so I want to create space for us so that you can stand and say, I believe. You can make a public declaration. I believe, like Buzz Lightyear, you just get up and let it go. And just, just declare it. And stand into that identity so that as we move forward, we are going into this identity together, one body under Christ. And so if that's you, all you have to do is stand up and say, I believe. God bless you. Don't clap, don't clap. Let's wait, let's wait. Let's do it all together. It's really scary for those who are doing it the first time. Their hearts are pounding, so we want to be very gentle and, and welcoming to them. So let's give them. We're giving you space to do this. I know it's hard. God's plans. Stop trying to figure God out, but accept Him for who He is. God bless you. God bless you. feel like your head's about to explode. Say I believe. It feels a lot better after that. I think some of you may have said I believe. In fact, this last service, someone had said I believe in the car, but never said it in public. And she said I believe at the last service for the first time in front of the church, the body of Christ. So if that's you, you said I believe some time ago, but you've never said it publicly, I want to give you a chance to do that today. Something really special about doing it in the family of God. Okay, well, let's celebrate God's children.
If you said, I believe today, our elders are right here. The prayer team is around the room. We want to pray with you and for you. We want to encourage you um, as you start this journey. And uh, for the rest of us, would you stand? As we respond to God's love that we, I hope, you experienced it in a tangible way today. Every one of our stations are ways in which we can have a moment with the Lord to hear His voice. Uh, each station, if you're new to the chapel, has a sign that explains the stations. Uh, so I'll let you read those as you go along. But we have the communion, the candles, the confessional wall, the offering boxes, the prayer wall, and our prayer team. But today we have one extra station, and that is that beautiful painting painted out of Ephesians chapter 3. And you may want to come look at it close up. If you haven't seen Jesus, have someone help you. Maybe take a picture. I don't know. But just another time for you to be remem remembered today and walk out today remembering God's love for you as tangible as you can feel it. So go ahead and respond, and then we'll gather together to worship. Amen. As you leave here today, I wanted to pray a benediction from the very passage we looked at today, but also from Romans chapter 8, where Paul also talks about God's love. So put out your hands to receive this blessing. Our Heavenly Father, out of your glorious riches, strengthen us, your people, with power in our inner being through your Holy Spirit, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Father, being rooted and established in love, grant us power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we might be filled to the measure of all your fullness. So as we leave this place, help us remember this. Nothing that we encounter in this world, nothing can ever separate us from your love. So we leave here united with joy to love and to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We will see you next week. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more, where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and his work together. Thanks again.